1: If I do a good job, then the person after me, they'll know, they'll have more confidence that that person can do a good job. That woman can do a good job, you know? So just responsibility and knowing that like so much of what we do, whether it's in that moment because you're making history or simply just showing up because I'm a woman and I'm black, like you, you're doing it. And it's it's about so much more than just yourself.
2: My name is Caitlin Orca, and I'm the producer of Hardwood History. Part of my job as a producer is to help identify great stories to share with audiences. And while working on this show, I realized that one of the great and often undertold stories of women in basketball is that of the show's host, Zora Stevenson. So I forced her to go on the other side of the mic for a change so that we can learn more about the host of Hardwood Herstory and the impact that she's had on the game of basketball. You've referred to yourself as a has-been Hooper, but I think that's a little bit misleading as it doesn't give audiences an understanding of just how talented a player that you were or any true context of your playing days. So give us a little insight and let's start at the beginning. How did you first fall in love with basketball? Yeah,
1: my cousin's backyard in Howard County, Maryland, and most of my cousins are older than me, and so the, I'm talking about my my mom's side of the family and some of my guy cousins, they they had a cul-de-sac with the hoop. I think a lot of us can relate to that. And they would always be shooting hoops and me being the little one, my goal, like every time I was there, was like, Zora, just try to make it on the 10-foot hoop, try to make it on the 10-foot hoop. And that's really when I fell in love with the game. It it involved family, it involved being competitive and, and a goal for myself, which I think relates to life, right? And then everything just blossomed from there talk about the WNBA. And then when I actually started to play, um, I couldn't get enough of it. I was in multiple leagues at a time. and My parents would have to shuffle me across the city. I was just obsessed. You
2: were in multiple leagues and you, in those leagues, encountered some pretty exceptional basketball talent. I know that you grew up playing with Elizabeth Williams or against Elizabeth Williams. So looking back on that experience and having played with all that talent, how did that mold you as a young player?
1: Yeah, specifically AAU, that's where Elizabeth and I met. So AAU basketball is like amateur basketball and um, it gets, it gets pretty serious. And it's, you know, where a lot of us get recruited to go play at the collegiate level. And Boo Williams is a, is a a big program out of uh, Southern Virginia in the Hampton Roads area. And so uh, everybody, just about everybody on that team was better than me. I mean, some of the women went to Duke and, and Tennessee and some of these huge, huge schools. And so I think it prepared me, you know, it's always a joy and it's always a pleasure to be able to play with people that are better than you because they push you, right? And so then when I got to the next level and got a scholarship to play division one basketball at Elon University, I felt like I was ready because I had had played with the best. So you mentioned Elon, why Elon? Yeah, I got offered to play at American University, which is in Washington, D.C., division one as well. And that was my first offer. I cried real tears when the coach called me and, and told me i had been offered a scholarship. Just imagine like a goal you that, you know, little kid trying to shoot on the 10 foot hoop. And, you know, the goal for me was always to be able to go play basketball at the highest level, division one basketball, and be able to go to school for free, right? Like I get to play basketball and my parents don't have to worry about how we're going to pay for my education. That, that was a win-win. So my first offer, I cried. But in terms of Elon University, it just felt right. I couldn't always articulate exactly what I wanted in a school and I, I had visited so many different places, met a lot of different coaches. I mean, the recruiting process is nuts. You're like, you know, 14, 15 years old and you're having all these conversations about life that you have, you have no clue what life is about. And I went to Elon and it just felt comfortable. The coach walked me around and she talked to me about more than just basketball took me to different departments, whether it was the school of communication, she knew that I, I really, and the, the coach that recruited me, not necessarily the coach that ended up being at the helm when I was there, but that transition was seamless. And I was the type of student athlete that was into a bunch of different things. And Elon welcomed that. They said, okay, yeah, obviously basketball and your studies are a focus, but you can be involved in whatever you want. Like being a student athlete is not gonna take away from your student
2: experience. And I really appreciated that. That's great. Well, you, you spent four years there, three of those you were a starter. You set a school record uh, for single season three-point field goal percentage, so you had success. Was there a period of time where you thought about trying to even take it to that next level? Was there any potential for you to go to the WNBA or play overseas or do something beyond college? Or did you know after these four years, that's going to be the end of basketball for me? I had
1: a pretty realistic outlook on my basketball trajectory and I knew, you know, I knew my role. Like I was a shooter and I tried to be really, really good at that. I probably, you know, I had some scouts and and agents reach out about playing overseas, but I was so ingrained in this like TV world. I wanted to get started with that. The WNBA was definitely never, you know, something that was a possibility for me. Um, But what's so amazing about the game is there's so many different ways to stay involved Um, but I, I wouldn't take anything away from my time playing it's, um, you know, and obviously go back and, you know, maybe there's some things I could have did better, but what I, I find so much joy is like, I did the best that I could. Um, and I got really good at one thing, you know, I, I knew my role, um, and I, I capitalized on that. So yeah, if you ever need someone just to stand in the corner and shoot threes, I I think I've still got that.
2: (laughs) Well, you graduate And you didn't immediately hop into the sports broadcasting world. You spent a few years working in local news, North Carolina, Colorado. I want to know what did you learn during that time that eventually helped shape you as a sports broadcaster?
1: Yeah, those years right out of college working in news. And, and oftentimes when I tell people I worked in local news, they think I was like the sports person at the news station. It's like, no, I was I was covering crime, politics, education, whatever the story in that city was that day or in that market, I, I was rushing towards it. Um, and it, it taught me how to just be a reporter and how to be a journalist and how to tell stories. You know, I, I am a firm believer in if you know how to tell an education story or a crime story, you could tell a basketball story. It's it's all about sharing what people are into and and what makes them go and what motivates them. And it's a beginning, middle, and end. And um it taught me how to write. It taught me how to deliver. It taught me how to work under deadlines. It taught me how to juggle various things. You know, you got multiple stories on different sides of town and you just got your assignment at 9 a.m. and it has to be on the air by 4 p.m. Oh, and you have to like write it, shoot it and edit it and set up your own live shot. It just, it you know, it, it taught me how to balance. And I think basketball, the reason that I, you know thrive in those environments because I was used to balancing everything with basketball. And in those smaller markets, you learn how to fail. You know, you sometimes you get you get an assignment and you just can't get it get it done, or you don't get as many interviews as you want, right? Or you go the whole day and everybody tells you no, and you've got to figure out a creative way to put something on the air, maybe without any sound. I'm getting into the nitty gritty of, of you know uh, storytelling here, but you know you have no interviews and you just have to use the facts that you have. Um, it, it taught me so so much, and it helped me gain my confidence. On camera, and it and it was in areas and in towns where I could make mistakes. Ultimately, for me, the subjects uh, were rough. It was it was it was a lot. Um, you know, I I covered you know some some stories that have gone national. I don't know if people have heard. Um, there was a man in Colorado that basically killed his entire family. Um, and it started out as they were missing and he did all these interviews, um, saying he wanted them to come home and it turns out he, he killed them. And that, um, I interviewed him alone. Like I was in his house, um, and law enforcement knocked on the door. And that's, you know, the only reason that we stepped outside is because law enforcement knocked on the door. I just, I mean, uh, I've covered school shootings, um, and you're talking to families, um, at the worst time of their lives, and and the fact that like I, I I said plural, right? I mean, um, the the topics got really really heavy, and I started to take them home. I, I there was there was you know some people have this skill where they can go to work and then they come home and they separate it all, but I could not, I I could not, and so I was like, how can I get back to basketball and a place where people are going to smile? Like sports is where we go to to smile, um, and not that we should forget about everything that's happening in the world, but, but sometimes we need those moments and, um, sports is a part of that. And so I, on the side, I would, um, go to you know, university of Colorado, women's basketball games, and I would just go interview people and I would just add to my sports reel, add to my sports reel. I did color commentary for the division two school. I taught my husband how to use a camera and, you know, we were going and shooting, we were just going everywhere and shooting interviews and just, you know, getting my sports reel together. Um, and it, it, it all transitioned way faster than I thought it would.
2: Like you, I, I got my start in local news too. And I always tell friends and family that the sad thing and the hard truth about working in news is that oftentimes your best day on the job is someone's worst day of their life Mm. and having to Mm. come home with that and deal with that. And for Mm. me personally, oftentimes I would come home and deal with that by watching sports, right? You could take yourself out of what was happening And sports for the release, and I think that that's the truth for so many people. It doesn't matter what job you're in; you come home, and there's something really refreshing about being able to root for your favorite team, or just get lost in the energy and the excitement of a a game. And to be a part of that is, is so great. And you got to be a part of that in a really big way, as you eventually became the sideline reporter and the digital reporter for the Milwaukee Bucks. And suddenly, you're covering a championship team. Now, not very many people. Get to say that. What is that like to have a front row seat and be a part of a franchise that gets to win an NBA championship?
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. So fun. So awesome. I'm filled with so much gratitude that that I had a front row seat to that, um, and not just in a way of witnessing it, but you know, like following the players' journeys and and knowing the storylines and and being on the floor when like I mean, we've all watched it on TV, like when the confetti is coming down, but like actually being on the floor and and trying to get through, you know, the the pit of people to find somebody to interview. And, oh my goodness, you know, when I first got the Bucks job, I don't think I've ever even talked about this publicly. When I first got the Bucks job, I wrote down questions that I would ask if they won a championship. Um, And it's nuts that like two years later, that actually happened, and the night before Game Six, when they had the opportunity to win the championship, I went back to those very questions, and I was like, "Zuri, you got to be ready." Um, so I'm I'm big on affirmations uh, and and being ready for for any moment. And so it was just, and then you know I'm asking all these questions and doing interviews, and uh, the the biggest part though was two days later I got to host the parade. I mean, the the entire city is just filled with people. I can't even see you know, all the people that I'm talking to. And that was an awesome moment. And just professionally, you have to manage so many different things. Like the guys have been enjoying themselves all day, right? And so you have to manage whatever state they're in by the time they get up to the podium and, you know, politicians and dignitaries and team owners, you know, want to want to talk as well. You have to manage the crowd, but you're also on TV, Um uh, it was, it was a thrilling professional experience, but also personally as well, just to experience what it's like to, to win a championship in, in the NBA and see how uh, the guys celebrated that.
2: Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGard Plus, a Foxalaner, moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Choose. There's always a lot of conversation about players and the pressure that builds as a player gets closer to a championship, the pressure to perform, knowing you only have so many chances. But there's that same pressure for broadcasters as well. And I'm curious for you did you feel that how did you manage that as as the bucks crept closer and closer to that championship well we don't get redos a lot of the
1: times in the interviews that we're doing i mean even live taped whatever it is when you have the athlete for that moment that's that's the time that you have plus like the first answer is always the best answer if you if you go back and say hey can we do that over it's it's never the same so you've got you've got one shot to get it right and yeah we put pressure on us because I mean, just like the players, like, I mean, for every player on that Bucks team that that won the 2021 NBA championship, they had never been to a NBA finals before. I had never covered an NBA finals before. And who knows when I'll cover one again. So it's like in this moment, you you've got to do a good job. And the stories that you tell at that moment run on repeat over and over and over again. They're part of the archive for that time period. So... Yeah, I, you know, and I think as journalists and as broadcasters like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves too. The good ones at least put more pressure on themselves than than anyone else does, but that's how we keep that's how we keep going.
2: 2021 not just a career highlight in that you get to cover an NBA championship, but you also became yeah. the first woman to handle play-by-play television duties for a Milwaukee Bucks game. So first, take me back. How did that opportunity come to fruition? My goodness, kudos to
1: the Milwaukee Bucks organization to, um, Jim Paschke, who, who used to be the play-by-play announcer for, for the Bucks for 35 seasons. And that is a story of people seeing something in me that I had never even seen in myself. And I even have to go back further. Lachina Robinson, who is a women's basketball analyst first kind of nudged me to do play-by-play. And at this time I was just trying to get like my foot in the door as a report. I'm like, play-by-play, like you're nuts. And, um, and then, you know, a few years later, Jim was, was talking about retirement and he was like, Zora, you know, so many times reporters feel like the only way you can continue to move up is just keeping that same role, right? And, and trying to move up. But he was like, what if you add versatility? To your resume, um, and I do have the news background, the anchor background, and if you really think about play-by-play, it's 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 anchoring without a script. I mean, you're 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 getting in and out of everything. You're bringing the host in. I mean, you're bringing the analyst in. You're bringing the reporter in. You got to go in and out of break. You got to make sure you get the ads in. You're you're calling the action. You're really you know steering the ship so to speak, and. I have so many stories that I always want to tell, but as a reporter, you, you can't get them in cause you got to get in and out. So I felt like play by play, I got to combine all those things. And yeah, I thought uh, people were crazy saying I, I could pick up that role, but um, a ton of reps uh, and a ton of people in my corner that believed in me. And next thing I knew, yeah, they thought I was good enough to call a real game. Um, and and then things just spouted from there. I'm calling, you know, college basketball for for NBC and, Uh, I just, I just feel so, so grateful for people who believe in me before I even believe in myself.
2: But I think it's really important for listeners to know that you don't just get that opportunity and then call the game. You put in hours and hours of practice. You called shadow games. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. You don't just sit in the chair and say, I played basketball. I know the sport. I know the team because I watched them. You know, there is a lot in that lead up to getting that opportunity.
1: I was calling games on Zoom with, <laughs> with my agent at the time. He would be the analyst and I, we would just bring up an old game and I'd call it back. Uh, my husband and I would be in the living room. We'd put a game on mute and I'd put the stats up. You know, you can kind of get live stats anywhere. We'd call the games in the living room. And then I'd have more formal practice runs where uh, Steve Novak, who's one of the analysts for the Bucks, after he did his pregame stuff, we would just sit and call the game and I'd hear the actual game producer in my ear. So it could be a realistic scenario. So there's so much work that went into it and, and still so much work that goes into it. I would call it air jumpers. Like even nowadays I'll just pull up some highlights and, and call them just to get my reps before a game.
2: Anytime you dive into something new, take on a new responsibility, there will be a certain probably level of anxiety. But knowing that you're also making history while performing this particular job. Yeah. How did you, how did you handle that? How did you approach this knowing that at the end of the day, you were going to be a very important first in the history of the Milwaukee Bucks franchise?
1: Yeah. Huge sense of responsibility because if I do a good job, then the person after me, they'll know, they'll have more confidence that that person can do a good job. That woman can do a good job, you know? So just, responsibility, um, and knowing that like so much of what we do, whether it's in that moment, because you're making history or simply just showing up because I'm a woman and I'm black, like you, you're doing it. And it's, it's about so much more than just yourself. So realizing the magnitude of, of the position that you're in and the responsibility, but then also, you know, not carrying all that weight. Cause it's not all on you, right? Your job is just to be the best person, the best professional at that time, the best play-by-play broadcast you can be. And then it helps everyone else along the way when when you um, check those boxes.
0: Dietz Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way, because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.
2: Why, in your opinion, is diversity both in front of and behind the camera so important? Well,
1: for a lot of different reasons, it's important because people are watching and so, you know you can see it you can be it we we've heard that over and over again so it's so important for the future and for people that are for little kids forming in their heads like what they want to be when they grow up they can only form what they have an idea of that already exists you know they're you know it's it's hard to just Bring out an idea that you've never seen before. So for the future, it's so important to have diversity. And then for the product itself, you want different personalities, you want different ideologies, you want different ways of seeing things. And and so when you have people from different backgrounds that look differently, or male, female, whatever it may be, then your broadcast and your product is is heightened because you you've got um, different perspectives that the that the viewer can take from. So I think it's twofold. It's it's about the future, yes, but like even from a business perspective think your product is better when you have different types of people, not just in front of the camera, but like Caitlin, what you do, like it's important to have different perspectives because a question, like we could both come up with a question, but you're going to see it differently than me and let's mold it together. And it, and it and it's better when it's both of us rather than us, you know, doing it separately. So, uh, for the future, but also like, I know people are big on the business part and I think it's, it's better for business to have different, different voices and different backgrounds on your broadcast
2: you mentioned you can see it, you can be it. Who did you see when you were growing up that you wanted to be or emulate?
1: Well, you know, I, I talked about the fact that I, I knew pretty early that my playing career um, was was going to end before the WNBA. But when I'm like 10 years old, sky's the limit, you know? So uh, at first it was the athletes themselves. And I grew up in the Washington DC area and we had mystic season tickets. Like we had like a a little like play pack for the Wizards, but for the Mystics, we were at every single game, and so it was it was watching the WNBA, and then um, gradually, as you're watching it, you're you know you're following them from college all the way to the pros, and then I got intrigued with wait who's who's talking about these people, right? And so um, it, Doris Burke when she was doing women's basketball, like I remember when she was the analyst and, and reporter on women's basketball. I'm still in awe of Holly Rowe. I'm a reporter nerd. And um, just the way she formulates her questions and delivers her stories. Maria Taylor is now a teammate of ours at NBC. And the way that she can uh, capture a moment and her versatility from like host to reporter, those are two very different things. There's so many, I mean, the list goes on and on. Lachina Robinson and and the way that she breaks down the game. Um, there, there's so many people that I watched. And, you know somebody told me very early, watch everybody. Uh, the way you get better at what you do is, is you watch it, right? So we've, we've got to watch TV, but never try to be one person. Take tidbits from every single person, right? So take Maria Taylor's cadence, take Holly Rose questions, take the way LaChanna Robinson breaks down the game and mold it and then add everything about yourself and, and mold it into one, right? So Never try to be like a carbon copy of anyone else because you're not you're not gonna be able to like keep that up. You can only be you, but definitely um, look at nuggets from from a bunch of different people. But there's so many women and men um, that that do these jobs so well, and I'm constantly just watching sports, even sports that I don't necessarily cover, just to see how they're delivering it.
2: When it comes to TV, I often think of the term armchair quarterback, right? You're sitting there and you're watching going, I can do that. Or why did that person make that decision? I would never do that. And I feel like that happens oftentimes when people break down a reporter's job or a play-by-player analyst job. They think, oh, gee, they're just talking about the sport. I could clearly do a better job. They have no idea some of the intricacies, the hard work that goes in, the amount of preparation So in a nutshell, is there something about what you do that you really wish that people at home understood that could help them maybe empathize or sympathize or just understand that your job is so much more than just being there and asking a question on any given day?
1: Well, one, the preparation is nuts. And for every question you hear, every report you hear or see, the preparation behind that was that times a million, right? But there's certain pockets, especially as a reporter, there's certain pockets and certain times you have to get in and out. And so you have 20 seconds, like you've got to be clear and concise and get to the point. So sometimes you can't get in the entire story that maybe somebody that, you know, is writing for a newspaper is able to get in. You can't get into that level of detail. So just understanding that, you know, if you see us in like three to four stories a game, know that we had like 20 ready to go. And it just all depends on how, how the game goes um, post game interviews, you know, less is more in what we do. So just because we're, we're asking, you know, how are you all able to gut out this win? Doesn't mean that we don't understand that this is the record that this team has, and this is the context behind this win. And, and this is who this player is, but like, it's about the, the athlete, right? So if I'm taking 20 seconds or 30 seconds to get my question off, well, then I'm making it about me and not about the athlete. So I just try to keep things as, as open-ended as possible. And it's, it's not on me to prove all that I know. It's about hearing from the athlete. So just knowing that, um, yeah, there's in, there's intention to everything that we're doing, but we're, we're putting in the work for sure. And and from the play-by-play perspective, just kind of have um, some, some empathy because, I mean, by far, at this point, I've done every single role in a broadcast when it comes to on-air talent and play-by-play is by far the hardest. So be nice to the play-by-play announcers because they're juggling a lot.
2: And including in that juggling is having to listen to people like me get in your ear during the game and annoy the bejesus out of you by telling you things you probably don't <laughs> want to hear, like wrap it up, we're going to break, or please yeah. bring this up because I have a story I want to tell. So no one, yeah. that's the best part about my job is I you know, get to get in people like your ears and tell you things and no one at home has to hear what I'm saying, but you have to listen the entire game. So apologies uh, for that. <laughs> I like producing that talk. Uh, you know, looking back, what what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Oh my goodness, that you can do whatever you want to do, and there's no path that you have to follow. Like because even the person you look up to and whoever you you aspire to be, you don't have to follow that person's path to get to the same endpoint or to a better endpoint. I think that's the beauty of, of television and, and the frustrating part. A lot of it is opinionated. This is not math. Two plus two does not necessarily equal four. Um, it's a lot about, you know, somebody just likes the way you talk. Somebody just likes, you know, your cadence or whatever it, it may be. But know that no matter which way your path goes, the end point is always a possibility. Uh, try your best not to compare yourself. And you don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay to just be in, in one place and try to thrive in that moment and thrive in that job and that assignment, whatever it may be. I, especially now, I feel like people are always moving and it seems like everybody is one place one second and then they move up the next, but it's okay to just try to attack right where you're at. And you are not your job. I mean, we, we love what we do and it takes up so much of our time, but it does not define us. We are so much more than, than our employment and our careers, and it's important to remember that. You
2: mentioned a little earlier the phrase, you can see it, you can be it. Now yeah. you're someone that a little boy or a little girl is watching on TV, is listening to. How does it feel knowing that you could be that role model, that person that, that little kid sees that can help inspire a future generation? It's wild to me.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm like me. I I'm still looking up to everybody. I'm still figuring out life, but but I understand the responsibility, right? And I and I understand that people are watching. And I think um, if if you just continue to be a good person and work hard and go about things the right way, then what people are seeing will will be um, the right thing to look up to, right? Um, it's, it's crazy though. I mean, I'm doing things that are even beyond what I even dreamed of, of that 10 year old kid in my cousin's cul-de-sac trying to make a shot on the 10 foot hoop. Um, it's, I just feel so blessed and, and so grateful, but uh, of course, like we're human and we always want to keep pushing and we always want to keep getting better. Like you, you, you reach that one dream and then it's like, wait, but there's, there's another one. Um, so trying to balance um, being okay. And where I'm at and celebrating where I'm at, but also, to keep striving. And if I can, if I'm inspiring anyone, um, wow, thank you. And, um, I know it's about way more
2: than me, so I'm just going to kind of keep at it. We've had the opportunity to work together over these last couple of months to tell some really great stories throughout the Hardwood Herstory podcast. And I'm curious, what has stood out to you about the podcast, the experience, and the amazing people that you've gotten to interact with as a result of it?
1: This has been such an amazing project and Caitlin, you've been so awesome to work with and you know, it's, it's a real path. Like this, this series is personal to me. It's a lot of people that I admire and maybe I've heard their stories, but like to be able to hear it just from like their mouth, I think is, is so valuable and in a long form way where they have time to just expand on some of the things that have helped them along the way. Like maybe I'm not a coach, I'm not a referee, but there's something that I can take from that. Right, that and, and apply it to my own life. So selfishly, I've picked up on a, a lot of nuggets. To me, like if, if we go to like Lucy Harris, that was like an informational piece on just who she was. Like why in the world did we not know who she was? And I'm, I'm kind of upset that we have to celebrate her when she's gone that, you know, like we, we've gotta be better. We all have to be better to make sure that, that we know our history. Neil Ivey, I like gleam with joy um, because what a journey and and um, what an inspiration to play at a university. And for decades it had the same coach. And when that coach this Muffet McGraw decides to retire, you are tapped. They saw something in you that your greatness was ready for the moment. And and my, how she risen, right? And even her time in, in the NBA and, and what she learned there and raising her son. Um, you know, it, this business is tough in itself and, and how you do that with the responsibility of a, of a child, uh, intrigues me. And, um, then even, you know, Allison Gaylor, the agent, like a lot of us on air talent, we have agents and I, you know, it, it's, it's interesting and it's a tricky business to try to, to try to navigate. And so, um, people that are in it just to, as she says, disrupt the game, I would even take, you know, disrupt and elevate the game. Um, and she's just representing women. Like you know, imagine all the opportunities she could have if she represented men and women. But she she found a calling just to represent women specifically, mostly in the women's basketball space. Um, so I'm just in awe of all these women who are just doing it in their respective spaces. And there's there's room for all of us. And uh, I just thank thank you NBC, thank you Caitlin. Like this is this has been awesome. And I hope people have enjoyed the series.
2: For those who are flipping through myriad podcasts available shows out there because we all know there are so many and so limited hours in the day to listen. What's your elevator pitch? Why should people spend the time to not just listen to one episode of Harvard History but listen to all of them?
1: Yeah, because I think we have the trifecta. I, I think you're going to learn things. I think you're going to be motivated. I think you're going to be challenged. Like Ann Myers-Drysdale, if you listen to her episode, she's going to challenge you to to, to be better and to learn your history. She's going to throw some names out there that I guarantee you're going to have to Google and she's going to make you feel bad that you don't know who those people are. You are going to laugh. Dee Cantor, uh, one of the first female referees in the NBA, is going to have you rolling and we're going to be talking about things that have nothing to do with basketball and that's okay. Um, And we're going to hear from men lifting up women, right? We're going to hear from the head of referees, with the NBA or Marcus Johnson, um, multi all-star in the NBA, uh, Jersey retired with the Milwaukee bucks. And he played against Ann Myers Drysdale. I mean, the, these, stories, and just to connect the dots, like we get to Neil Ivy and her son went to Notre, or Neil Ivy, um, Lucy Harris's son went to Notre Dame. Like all the basketball world is connected. It's like six degrees of, of separation. And just like we say history and it rolls off the tongue, I want us to start saying herstory and it rolls off the tongue. Um, So that's my pitch on on why you should listen to this series.
2: Well, I think it's a good one. Uh, I also highly recommend that everyone listen to this series. Zora, I'm so glad that we also got to tell your story because I think it's an incredibly important part of this basketball landscape and a sports broadcasting landscape. And I hope that people are listening to it and can take some inspiration from it and follow their dreams in a similar fashion. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for hosting this awesome podcast. It's been awesome to get to work with you and I hope people enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed like getting to work on it with you.
1: Thank you, everyone. I'm coming. Hello.